Roxy, it's so good to see you again. I know, you look so good. Oh, girl, you do too. (laughs) (laughs) So where are you right now? Right now, I'm in Calgary. I've just been doing about 11 days of camping through the Canadian Rockies with one of my good friends. And now I'm just taking a few days to recuperate in the city. And it's beautiful. I feel like Calgary is going to be the Denver of Canada. It's really interesting. It reminds me a lot of Denver. And I feel like the real estate is going to be popping here in like five to 10 years. (laughs) Okay. Are you staying at an Airbnb right now? Yeah, I'm staying at this lovely Airbnb. It is awesome. The luxury of having a hot, warm shower is wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, because you've been camping for a few weeks, right? Yeah, it's been, um, I want to say 11 nights so far. So showering like once a week kind of thing with a lukewarm shower is interesting. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And how many weeks more do you have of camping after this? After this, so we have like one more night in Calgary, which will be tonight. And then we'll probably do about, I want to say four to six days of camping. And then we'll be heading back to Whistler. Okay. Well, this is so exciting. This is like crazy, right? Like I'm so glad to be speaking to you right now through Zoom. And this is the first episode of my mm-hmm. podcast which you encouraged me to make so <laughs> I have you to thank a lot for that so for the listeners this is my friend Emily we actually met very randomly on a plane and she you know motivated me a lot to start this podcast and I kind of been wanting to for a couple of years but you know never really thought it was gonna be a reality And sometimes it just takes that person, I guess, to kind of push you and give you ideas and motivate you. So we kept in touch afterwards and she kept motivating me and telling me, you know, what I should do to kind of plan and create a vision for this. So I'm so honored to have her on the first episode. Do you want to tell them how we met or should I, should I? Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. We'll take the reins. So I was sitting there minding my own business, just like super jet lag and <laughs> was like oh gosh I hope my flights don't get canceled and there's this lovely woman next to me and she saw this book that I had um so I've been trying to read through this of course it's like the one that everyone's reading uh but it's the subtle art of not giving a fuck and uh sometimes I give too many fucks and I really enjoyed this book so far so Roxy was sitting next to me, this lovely lady, and just asked me like questions about it. Of course, anytime someone has a conversation with me, I start like becoming chatty Cathy and I will talk a mile a minute. And I realized that we are very similar in our passions of wanting to communicate with other people and create communities. And so here we are. starting a podcast (laughs) I love your version of the story so I guess I'll tell you what I remember (laughs) I was on the plane with my husband next to me and it was one of those times where it was like you're tired and you don't want to talk to anyone so you're just like okay I'm just gonna sleep through this whole flight (laughs) so I think did I have my my eye mask on I don't think I had my eye mask on during that part I had mine on (laughs) for part of it (laughs) So I was like sleeping the whole time. I didn't even know when someone sat next to me. And then by the time that I woke up, it was like towards the end of our flight. And then I look over and I'm like, 
oh, this girl has a book that I've been trying to read for a while. So this is a perfect, you know, chance to bring it up. And I'm like, should I, should I not? Okay, fine. Let me ask her how she likes this book, even though I was trying to just sleep through this whole flight. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, can you imagine if I hadn't, then we would have never, you know, like connected like this and, you know, became friends over it. So I'm really glad I did. And, you know, this hopefully this encourages you to try to speak to the person that you're sitting next to in the future when you're mile high in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Emily was just like immediately like the first question I asked you, like immediately you just like opened up and was like super ecstatic. Like I couldn't tell you were jet lag at all. You just had all this energy to share. (laughs) I was so tired. (laughs) Okay. So the crazy thing is why were you on the flight? Like why, (laughs) what brought you in my path to begin with? I think that's a crazier story. Oh my gosh. So I'm just a hot mess express train. That is something I've accepted in my life. I had plans to go to Canada and I had this elaborate plan to go see my friends up in Canada and go to Vancouver, Whistler, hike some mountains in the Canadian Rockies. And in the middle of like all of this planning and a couple of weeks before going up to Canada, I found out that my good friend just got diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. So of course, as a human natural reaction, and instead of dealing with my emotions, I uh, was partying and was like, you know, being a hot mess express train and I lost my passport. And and I realized I lost my passport the night before I was going to drive up to the Canadian border. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this just happened. I cannot believe this. I am so irresponsible. And that's when the next day I uh, went to a Starbucks and just, you know, logistically trying to figure out how to get an emergency passport or like express passport. And with all the COVID restrictions and regulations, the only appointment I could get was in El Paso, Texas. And at this moment, I was in Seattle or the greater Seattle area. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to book a flight to... El Paso, Texas. I've never been there. I want to check it out, blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being like a really cool city. I really liked El Paso. They have a beautiful art scene. Um, So I booked a flight, went to El Paso, got my passport, checked out some of the museums. Um, And then the only reason why I was on that flight with you was because of the flood flashes. I wasn't supposed to originally be on that flight. Oh, where were you supposed to be at first I had a different flight that was flying out earlier that day but it got delayed and my layover uh because of the delay my layover I wouldn't have made it over to my second flight to make it back to Seattle so I ended up switching my flights to a later flight and one Mm. with a longer layover which we weren't originally supposed to be on that flight together but because of the flood flashes we're oh. on that like, isn't that weird oh my gosh yeah like that wasn't my original uh flight path and then it's well really, I did not know that <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so weird so yeah I ended up booking that flight because of all the flight cancellations and all that stuff and like okay so you could have yeah, very well flown into a complete different connecting airport 
or mm. at least an earlier flight for that. Yeah. So yeah, now uh, that was a really expensive mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a I think like seven hundred USDs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, because of the flights, Airbnb. Also, like I'm bougie, so I wanted to eat at all the nice restaurants when I was in town. I saw um, that. Like you, okay. So El Paso. Everyone know. Well, I don't know about everyone, but a lot of people know at like the best restaurant here. You know, the fanciest, nicest restaurant is called Cafe Central. And I saw that you put in your story that you ate there. And I'm like, I've lived here most of my life and I have not even eaten there. It's really <laughs> and I'm <good>. like, this girl. <laughs> it's so tasty. I mean, honestly, go for the lunchtime. Don't even get the entrees. Just like order like three appetizers because their appetizers are so good. And they have an, a phenomenal bread selection. Like, I love their bread. They had all these bougie types of bread. And I'm such a breadhead. So I was like, mm. <laughs> Did you have to make a reservation or you just showed up? No, I just showed up. And they do have a dress code for their inside dining. But if you dine in the patio area, it's a little bit more casual. Because I was carrying around my Cotopaxi and, like, my hiking gear. And I was wearing Chacos, um, which are, like, sandals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this the type of restaurant where they're not going to let me dine because I'm dressed like this? Like, <laughs> this is like so obnoxious. And they're like, no, you can dine here. You just can't dine inside. You're going to have to dine in the patio. It's like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't care. The food tastes the same. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Good to know. That's crazy. That's like, like serendipity that you like ended up on that flight when you weren't even supposed to (laughs) and yeah there's been a lot of flash floods lately like all over texas it's it's been kind of (laughs) crazy but um it's much more green like our mountains here are super green i mean when you were here you were able to see that our beautiful mountains and and they're usually not like that they're usually more of like a reddish color because of the i think it's iron deposits but but lately it's been really green and and really beautiful what else did you get to do when you were in El Paso? Um, I got some tattoos. Yeah. What? <laughs> okay, yeah, this I was is like, news to me. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, I got this tattoo, which means, pers- uh, well, not means, but it says perseverance. Um, I got a semicolon for mental health awareness, mm-hmm. uh, a paper airplane. And then the other one I got while I was there was uh, this like camping thing. Oh. Oh, okay and and for anyone who's listening uh, we are putting this on YouTube afterwards so Emily just <laughs> went through and showed a collage of all her body parts <laughs> so, so make sure it's you gonna watch cost it. you a dollar more if, without the clothes <laughs> <laughs> that's on a different topic we'll save that for later so okay wait so you got all those tattoos when you were in El Paso yeah what um and how I got to that tattoo shop was I met this um, guy. His name is Trafari at the Box Coffee Shop. Have you heard of that place? Yeah. The, well, the coffee box, right? Yeah, the mm-hmm. coffee box where it's in a uh, downtown thing. And yeah, I made some friends there and was just hanging out. And he had a bunch of tattoos. So I asked him what his favorite tattoo shop was. Uh, which I don't know, I don't remember the name on top of my head, but I'll send it to you later. That way you can link it down. But yeah, and he was super nice. I 
was able to snag an appointment that day. So while I was waiting for that appointment, I ended up at eating at that bougie restaurant. And so I went to the tattoo shop and Tafari, he left me a sandwich. He was so nice. Oh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I already ate, but like, I'll eat the sandwich like tonight. And I ended up getting like, I had leftover Texas barbecue and I put it in that sandwich and ate it because it was a vegetarian sandwich. And I was like, well, I don't want to waste my leftovers. So yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> I can't believe that. Like who does that? Like who does that in, oh, I'm only in the city for a few days. It was unplanned. I am going to go ask a stranger where's the best place to get tattoos and I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to do it. <laughs> It was fun. Um, well, I had nothing else to do. And I felt like this um, passport situation was very um, uh, connected to my favorite word, which means, which is perseverance. And yeah, I mean, like other people think I'm just crazy and stubborn and won't accept the fact that I lost my passport. But I was like, uh, my other friend, he doesn't have a passport and was on a waiting list for, I think, like, 12 or 18 weeks. Oh, I was gosh. like, nope, I got an appointment within a week. <laughs> so the the appointment you had was here, like, at the, I guess, the immigration office that, did they have to interview you, or you just had to, like, sign something to get your emergency passport? It was um, a lengthy process. So I was on the phone for an hour, and just, like, telling them all the stuff. So the regulations with it, you have to have um, some sort of hotel booking or Airbnb booking within 72 hours of travel time. And I already had an Airbnb booked with my friend um, and I ended up not being able to make any of those days. So he got to experience this bougie Airbnb all to himself. So lucky for him. Um, but yeah, I already had all the booking and all this stuff. And then on top of it, you have to have like some sort of valid reason to travel to Canada uh, and all these other stuff. So it was like a lot of loopholes that I had to jump. Yeah, it was it was draining. And on top of it, I had to have my birth certificate and all of these like documents. So I'm like calling up my my old roommate in Denver. I'm like, yo, Priscilla, can you go through my storage unit? Because I left my spare storage unit keys with them in Denver. And I was like, I need, please do me a solid. And so she went through my storage unit, grabbed all the documents I needed and expedite shipped it to the Airbnb I was at. Oh my gosh. So moral yeah. of the story, don't you lose, lose your, your passport. passport. <laughs> don't ever lose your passport, guys. <laughs> Unless you have really good friends that are willing to help you dig through your storage locker and sign papers for you. <laughs> well, I'm glad. So you have your permanent passport now or yeah. you're still waiting? No, I have my passport um, and I ended up buying a passport card too. So in case if I do lose the passport, I have the card as a backup because the card lets you in to Canada and Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pro tip. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. so and it's only like, I think $30 more for the card. Okay. 
So what, um, what else have you seen in Canada? Any adventures since you've been there? And what else do you plan on doing while you're there? Oh my gosh, it's been such a beautiful experience. So Canada is just, oh, it's so gorgeous. People are friendly. I remember I was, uh, Philip and I were camping our first night and we ended up not grabbing, snagging a camping spot at the campground that we we're going to go to. So we did some like dispersed camping or whatever. And I was freaking out because in the States, if you are camped or trespassing on private property, you're going to get shot at. I mean, that's just, and it's not considered murder because you're trespassing. Um, and I was like telling him, I was like, dude, like, I don't know if this is private property. It looks like it's a logging facility. And if it is private property, we're going to get shot at. And he just looks at me and goes like, this is Canada. Like, this is not the States. People are just going to ask you to leave uh, very kindly. And I looked <laughs> at him and was like, wait, what? You, what? And I had this like culture shock moment because like I'm constantly in this like, moment of survival of like am I going to be in a shooting is someone going to shoot at me and all this stuff like I'm not anti-gun at all like I actually really like guns um but there is that mentality that you have in the state so there was that major culture shock because right before I got to Canada I was in an active shooting in Portland in downtown Portland so that was like really weird I've never been in an active shooting before so that was like really strange. Um, I was just trying to get some food, some fries. <laughs> um, luckily, my friend and I didn't get hurt, but two ladies ended up getting shot at. Um, so that was really peculiar. Um, another thing I would say is I made friends with my last Airbnb host in Vancouver. And she's this like badass woman got featured on Forbes. Her name is Ava. And she's just so inspiring. And it was, she's part of a Canadian passive investing. That's her company that she started from the ground up. And it's just like seeing a gorgeous woman that also has brains, like, just like you, like, I love being surrounded around empowering women. And so that was like, just having that human interaction with Ava and you and all this stuff that's been beautiful. Um, but I think one of my favorite things so far is just eating. The food in Canada is so good. Oh my gosh. It's so like authentic. Like there's so many Japanese restaurants here. Uh, so many ramen shops and a lot of the places, it seems like you went and flew to the country and you're eating at like a lot of the places, they don't even have English written down. They just, they just have like the number, like number one, number two, number three, and then it's all written in their language. And I was like, this is what I like. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I would say that I really enjoy. And then in Canada also, it's required to have everything in English and French. Mm. Where in the States, like, I feel like it, everything should be in English and Spanish, but it's not, it's not required. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of places do have it, but it's not expected, I guess. The high uh, French population in Canada, and I, I know they have a lot of other immigrants as well, which is probably the reason for the amount of authentic cuisines, ethnic cuisines mm -hmm. that they have there. 
That's really good to hear. Yeah, I've only had the privilege of spending one whole day in Vancouver a few years ago when my husband and I were in Seattle and we decided to rent a car to drive up to Vancouver. And we only spent a day there. It was beautiful. We went to, I think it was called Granville Island and they had a farmer's market there and they had people playing music and it was just amazing. Like it was like the happiest day (laughs) of our lives. I feel like you just like felt, I don't know, it's like indescribable. Like you just feel like this lightness to your step when you're there and all the people that were around everyone looked healthy and happy and fit and you're right about them being very friendly over there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then after we spent some time at the farmer's market we went to I believe we went downtown um, and we ate at like a vegan Chinese restaurant so that was really cool yeah we definitely would have wished we got to spend more time there but definitely enjoy it like while you're there okay so Calgary is I know it's Alberta so that's like more mid in the middle right yeah I would say it's like I wouldn't say it's right down in the middle of Canada I think it's just north of Montana that's okay that makes sense yeah so it's like a little bit more to the west of the middle just a dash bit Um, It's kind of like how like where Denver is situated, but a little bit more West, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I love Calgary. Uh, I I, I like it for the convenience because it's suburbia, but there's also a pretty decent downtown and it's an hour from the mountains. Oh, it's awesome. Like you're literally an hour from Canmore and Canmore honestly is way better than Banff. I'm not hating on Banff, but it felt very touristy when I was there. And that's like the one where like everyone goes to is like Lake Louise and all that stuff. I enjoyed Canmore a lot more. It reminded me of the small mountain town I lived in Colorado. And it was just very quaint. Like the food there was great also. And it was a little bit more affordable because it's not in um, a very touristy area. Trying to think of anywhere else I really enjoyed. Jasper was way cooler than Banff as well. I feel like it wasn't as crowded either. Oh, uh, and I went to Lake Louise and we went swimming in that water. It was really cold. Was it cold? (laughs) It was freezing. I told him, I was like, we have to at least do it, even if it's for 30 seconds, because like, when else are we going to be here? Yeah. in Lake Louise. I hope you got videos of that, like swimming in that water. I don't think we did because oh, we no. were so cold. We, um, I, he did get a video of me swimming in an alpine lake in, uh, in Jasper. Uh, yeah, that was really interesting. He was like, this is so cold. What are you doing? I was like, this is like my natural habitat. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, whatever you do have, Emily is going to send to me and I will be posting to Instagram. So (laughs) that's where, yes, that's where everyone can see you swimming in this cold water (laughs) and your camping adventures in Canada. Um, But tell us a little bit more about your lifestyle as a whole. I, I, you know, I only got to speak to you for like that last 20 minutes portion of our flight, but I feel like I got to hear a lot about you and there's only so much more that I like to uncover. (laughs) I've been, uh, whatchamacallit, I've been basically nomadic since December, 2020. So 
the quarantine happened, pandemic happened, COVID effed everything up in life, you know, and I got furloughed twice in nine months. And I started reevaluating everything. I was like, okay, if I stay in Denver, I'm going to blow through my savings, but I'll be able to snowboard for the entire season and go to these world-class mountains. But with how COVID was going, I wasn't sure if the ski resorts were going to close again. So I had the option to defer my pass to next year. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up deferring my pass to next year. I packed up my things, put it in a storage unit, and I headed back to the East Coast where I'm originally from. I'm originally from Northern Virginia. And I asked my mom, I was like, hey, yo, mom, can I move back into the basement for a little bit? So that's what I did. But since my rent was like a quarter or like an eighth of what I was paying in Denver, I... uh, packed up my things and mom was like totally cool with me not paying for rent for the first couple months um, because I wasn't going to be at the house. I just had my stuff there. So she's like, don't worry about it. You're fine. Blah, blah, blah. And so I packed up my car and just traveled the Southeast. I went down to Georgia and North and South Carolina, as well as Florida and uh, Louisiana. And I have a bunch of friends on that side of the country as well. And I just, I really wanted to see Florida. I wanted to be somewhere somewhat warm uh, and see some of my old friends. One of the restaurants I used to work at um, is called Uchi and they ended up opening up a location in Miami, which if you ever get a chance, I highly recommend it. They're very accommodating to vegan and vegetarian diets as well for being a sushi Japanese restaurant um, my roommates are actually vegan and I've taken them to that restaurant a few times and they've always had a phenomenal time uh, so I wanted to go eat at the new location of the restaurant I used to work at as well as see my old co-workers and friends um, so I did that from December 2020 till about April late April and I packed up my things again from Virginia, headed back west to Denver. And I was there for about a week, going through my storage unit, buying some stuff. Um, I ended up buying a bike rack and uh, a bike for myself so I could cycle through the cities on the West Coast. And I packed up my things again and headed west. And that's where I started my adventures of woofing, which is basically working on all organic farms in exchange for free housing and food. And that's one of the biggest part of travel expenses is housing and food. So the first farm I worked at was Seed Ascension. um, And we'll set up the link and all that as well. So people have the connection to that. So I went to Seed Ascension. It is an all organic regenerative cannabis farm. And it was a beautiful experience. It's a queer farm as well. So it was super awesome to be at a farm and water plants in my itty bitty bikinis and not be objectified uh so that was super awesome please tell me you have pictures of you in your itty bitty bikinis watering crops oh I have a video of me watering some of the crops or feeding farm animals in your itty bitty bikini oh yeah I'll definitely that is priceless So there was alpacas there and yo, an alpaca butt is so much fluffier than a corgi butt. And it's great. I love the alpacas, although alpacas are pretty aggressive. They are technically wild animals. Um, 
and they can be very what, what's the word I'm looking for territorial okay uh, they can be quite territorial so this was a gorgeous farm I, I, I believe it was like 40 to 60 acres or something like that it was a beautiful property right in Sonoma County um and it was very very remote so I was there for about a month and they had two different shifts they have one shift in the morning and then one shift in the afternoon and I did the morning shift on farming and learning about compost and different types of composting where the second shift, I ended up cooking a meal there and all the other farmers on the property loved my cooking. They were very enamored with my cooking skills. So the rest of the time I was there, I my second shift was cooking for the crew. So when I was there, I was able to curate over like 50 farm to table concept meals. It was amazing. I loved it. I got to make vegan meals as well as conventional meat oriented uh, meals as well. And I'll send you the videos and photos that I have. So, so I was cooking for like three to four hours on my second shift. And it was just so such a beautiful connection I had that I've never had in the past um with food I had such a beautiful connection like I was able to grow and harvest these vegetables and fruits and you know create a meal out of it and I feel like in the states a lot of people have such a disconnect with their food right you know I I was joking with my husband yesterday that you know if you find an American that like knows how to cut an onion or dice a potato then that's already pretty good (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) But um, yeah, so farm to table, that's uh, definitely a concept that I think everyone should adopt. I see some restaurants now in America adopting that. Um, Actually, there's a a local diner in El Paso that there's this couple, they have a family. I hope to have them on the podcast soon as well. And they they do that. They have, you know, like a community garden and they they do use some of the produce that they produce into their their menu. And I love that. I think it's really fulfilling, like not only for the farmer or the business owner, but also for the customers and and uh, even for volunteers. They take volunteers too, where it's like you volunteer for an hour and you get a meal for free. So they support a lot of like the homeless community here or those that are lower income. Just, you know, lend a hand and you get a free meal. So that's amazing. And I would love to hear more about your farm adventures. So where did you stay? Like, did you stay, did they have like a room for you at the farmhouse or did they have you in a private quarter? So each farm is different. At this first farm I was at, uh, I was fortunate enough to have my own trailer. So it was great. I had my own little kitchenette, my own uh, queen size bed. They even put fresh sheets on there for me. And they were so kind and generous uh, with the space. And I had my own little uh, table as well in there. Um, Of course, it wasn't like a bougie Airbnb like where I'm at right now. But it had the basic necessities. I had running water. um, I had all the necessities I needed. And when I got there, they ended up just finishing building an outdoor shower and composting toilet. So this outdoor shower, oh my gosh, like I was like thinking I should open up an OnlyFans with just me showering in this like outdoor shower. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like it was so magical. It was just, it was at the top of the mountain 
and it, you would just be immersed in forest and it just was so gorgeous. I felt like a forced fairy just showering and bathing. Um, and then the composting toilet had the same exact view. So I just was like, you know, after my morning cup of coffee, I'd go and do my business and shower. And it was just so serene and calming. And all you could hear are birds chirping in the morning. And it was so immersive in nature. I uh, love it. Forest fairy. Yeah, I loved it. I felt like an Asian Tinkerbell or something. I'm pretty sure there is an Asian Tinkerbell in the series. There is. I think, um, I don't know her name, but I think she wears purple and she has something with the water. Like she has long black hair. Yeah, it's like a long black hair and a ponytail, I think. I can't remember. I don't... There, there is one. So yeah. shout out to representation. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you said it was called Wolf. How do you spell that, this program? It's W-W-O-O-F. Um, it's a membership. I believe it's like $55 or $65 a year. Um, for couples, it's a little bit more, but it's basically like Facebook for farmers. It's a networking system for organic farmers. Because if you truly think about farming and not subsidized farming by the government, like how in the States, uh, corn farm, Corn farms are subsidized by the government. Most of these farmers, they end up not, they're making it paycheck to paycheck and they're doing it out of straight like passion. And a lot of the times, I think a lot of people forget with organic farming, if there's any residue from the surrounding areas with pesticides that get into the soil content and when they test the organic crops and if there's any signs of, pesticides, it's not considered organic anymore. Um, so they end up losing all of their crop and they have to sell it as conventional. And it's not their fault. It's the surrounding communities around them that are spraying these pesticides and it's getting into the soil and literally killing the biodynamic diversity of uh, different environments. It's, it's really devastating to start looking into how corrupt a lot of the farming politics are like it's definitely not for the organic farmers yeah it's really tricky because I you know I did a, a internship before too in in New York where we researched a lot about organic and the the concept of or organic and fair trade sustainable living as well as farming and producing uh, products as well and yeah it's really really devastating and shocking to learn about um, how difficult it is for these farmers to grow organic and to keep it organic and the costs that are associated for them to be certified organic uh, to be USDA certified so that's a lot of things that you know most people don't think about and um, it's really hard out there um, and I especially for urban farmers. I know I used to live in Houston and they had a couple urban farms. And I know through what I've learned that there's even, I think there's even certain cities and states that are trying to help, you know, young families move somewhere. They give you a plot of land maybe to, to um, continue the, I, I want to say art, but it's not, yeah, I guess the art of farming or the, um, the sector of farming because we need farmers we need 
people to keep doing this. And if uh, generations down farmers, children, they don't want to do this anymore, then it's, it's kind of a big problem. And for them to make it even harder to be certified organic and to keep that certification. And it's really no way to, for them to prevent runoff from conventional farms or like runoff from, from nearby farms that are not organic. That's just really, really difficult. So that's really interesting that you got to learn all about that. Um, how many of these wolf stays, I suppose, have you done? I've done two so far. Uh, so the uh, second one I did was a dry farming concept. So it was a, a small scale farm that was trying to transition away from irrigation and instead use the water that's being stored from the previous winter season. Cause, and it was up in Oregon as well uh, in this small town called Monroe. The name of the farm was Lilliputopia. It was a beautiful farm. This farm itself has a gift shop and they sell their own produce there as well as supporting other local artists as well. So there's little gifts and knickknacks that you can get that are locally produced. And it was just a beautiful concept. I was only there for about a week. I ended up getting strep throat really bad. So I had to get a uh, hotel to just, you know, avoid spreading strep throat to the other farmers on the property. But they were so awesome and so friendly. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. I'd never heard of dry farming before. That was a concept I've never heard of. And it's really interesting, especially when you start seeing a lot of these places that are going into droughts. I think it's important to kind of grasp the knowledge of dry farming and how helpful and beneficial it can be, especially in a state like California or something. Wait, can you explain dry farming to all of us? So my knowledge on it is quite <laughs> limited. I will try to explain it in a way where I don't uh, butcher the concept. So from what I know of at this farm, what they did was they'll get, so if you think of trees, that's dry farming. We're not watering trees. What the root systems of a tree do is tap into the water source that's already in the ground that's been stored. Have you ever seen the movie Holes with Shia LaBeouf in it? Mm-hmm. And they like dig and dig and dig and then they like find like a water source kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that happens in that movie or maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. When you have a root system that's healthy, it's able to like a well, we dig into wells to grab a water source. So that's yes. basically what these root systems are doing. That happened in uh, Minari. I don't the, think I've seen that. The movie, it's pretty new. It's about this uh, Korean immigrant family that started a farm in Arkansas. Okay. And theme of the movie was their trouble with finding enough water to water the crops. So that I think that reminds me of what you're talking about, like digging until hopefully you reach a well yeah. <laughs> and water comes out. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what I translated what dry farming is. Is that the best way to explain it? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. but this, it gets... is, this is new. Like this is, we're all learning about this. Um, yeah. Do you know if a lot of farmers are doing it or it's more like a no. Uh, growing concept from what I know of no because it is a more difficult type of uh, farming also 
depending on which region of the country you're in, there's different types of soil where like where I was in Sonoma, it was more of like a sand and dirt concept where in Oregon, it was more clay based and it was really hard to work with. Um, like it got like rock solid. When we were harvesting elephant garlic, we needed like three people to harvest one. What? Yeah. Like <laughs> one person had to like plow into it with uh, a hoe. And then another person had to like, we had to grab a shovel at one point because it was so hard. Like even me jumping on it with my whole body weight was not enough because that's how rock solid the soil was. Wow. And this elephant garlic, it was absorbing water directly from its roots and you guys weren't yeah. watering it or anything I think they watered it once in a while like when it really needed to be watered but mm -hmm. from what I remember they didn't water it there was gra dry grass clippings that I collected and put on top of the soil bed uh to use as a some sort of like topping to mm -hmm. make sure it keeps the soil wet yeah like a barrier to yeah. maintain the moisture yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but that was um, a beautiful farm I loved it it was ridiculously hot when I was there it was upwards in the 90s um, the record-breaking temperature was 113 degrees and it's never gotten that hot in that area ever so that's quite alarming I wish people would listen to Greta Dunberg uh, more often. <laughs> okay, so what did they have you um, do any activities with animals? I know you were cooking and, you know, harvesting crops. Did they give you any tasks that surrounded taking care of animals at all? I fed the chickens every morning. At the yeah. first farm or at the second farm? At the second farm, okay. uh, the first farm, I would collect the chicken eggs, the eggs. Um, and then the second farm, I would collect the eggs as well and feed the chickens occasionally. The alpacas, like I, the only things I did with the alpacas at the first farm. So every time they overgrazed the plot of land and we didn't move them fast enough, they would somehow find a way to escape. And they'll come up to like the far the part of the farm that the humans stayed at to let us know like hey like we want to be moved to a different section so every time <laughs> they like escape from their like part of the farm i would just like holler and be like uncle jules uh which is julian he's the main farmer on the property and i just would be like yelling uncle jules i'm like the alpacas are out but that's the only thing i do with them um, <laughs> I guess like one thing that I did get to do with them is we collected their um, poop to use as compost. So alpaca poop is very high in nitrogen. And we use this type of uh, composting system at the first one called thermophilic composting. I cannot explain it very thoroughly. It's in my journal that I lost that had my passport in it. <laughs> So I don't know that much information about it besides that it's like a percentage of brown matter, a percentage of nitrogen and a percentage of um, green matter. Okay, so, yes, this. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I remember learning about this too. Um, when I was 
doing my master's in Houston, we had a holistic garden as a part of our school. And we had Dr. Novak from, I think he was from Texas A&M. He was like a horticulturalist specialist. Okay. I assembled a composter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I had to sit there for a day, like picking out all the parts. It is not easy by the way to assemble a composter. It takes, it was kind of like, how many people does it take to assemble a composter? Well, apparently five or six. Uh, (laughs) This thing had like 300 parts, like little um, screws and and, um, sticks and pieces of metal and whatever. Um, Yeah, like 300 pieces. You had to like sit there and like figure out what piece goes where. And yeah, it, it was really a huge task, but at the end you get this really cool it was huge um this composter composter that you uh i think you cranked it so that it would turn and it would it would move i'm not sure if that is also considered what you said thermophilic composting um we didn't put any alpaca manure in it (laughs) we didn't have access to that um but yeah i remember that he explained to us you know to do layers of brown matter, green matter, and something else, organic matter, so that you can get the best quality soil in the end. So yeah, thanks for taking me back to those days. <laughs> it's really interesting because when I first got introduced to composting, I thought it was just like one type of compost, you know, um, and the first time I got introduced to composting was when I was living up in Mississauga. In Canada, it's fairly normal for households to have a recycling bin, trash, and then uh, compost, like it's really normal concept. Um, in the States, it's not, you have to like, it. it's not really a thing to compost, no. um, which honestly, if we just did composting, it would make a huge difference with environmental um, issues that we have. By the way, anyone who's interested in composting, you heard it here first. <laughs> Starbucks Ooh. will give you coffee grounds for free. And I thought this was well known to everyone because I always saw it like they always have a sign uh, when you not that, you know, I don't really try to support Starbucks as much as I can. But when you go in um, on the side of the front door, they usually have a little like a bookcase, like a little shelf thing that says, take our uh, take our coffee grounds for your garden. And I've seen that at several locations. And I've also seen a sign at the, like by the cashier that says, ask for our coffee grounds to take to your garden. And every time I've mentioned it to anyone, like any of my friends, no one knows this. And I'm like, it says right there, do you not read? (laughs) And so even if I don't buy anything, like, okay, well, I've only done this once. Cause I like I said, I don't go to Starbucks a lot, but I asked for it. And the girl gave me like a whole bag of coffee grounds And I took that to my grandpa so he can use for his backyard. And I don't have a house right now. So I don't, I don't have a place to start a compost pile or compost bin. But when I do, I plan on doing that. But anyone who lives in a house or rents a house that have space in your backyard, please start composting any organic matter that, you know, like when you're chopping up vegetables, whatever you're not going to use, go ahead and just throw that there. And like Emily said, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. So it's up to you with the amount of space and time that you have what you want to do. But 
Yeah. Thanks for encouraging us to look more into composting. And like you said, like in other parts, I know there's certain other states that are much better about it. Texas is not one of them. Canada is really good about it. Other countries, you know, just used to separating out your recycles and your compost matter, like leaves from your yard or something like that. You don't just throw that into the trash because they'll fine you for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wish to see that going forward that the rest of America can act right and move toward that direction. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you like the podcast, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Facebook at MFMPpod. And to keep the conversation going, you can use the hashtag MFMPpod on Twitter to share your favorite quotes and memes or comments about the podcast, as well as any questions you have for me that I can potentially answer on future episodes. Or you can always DM me on Instagram as well. And consider supporting the show by visiting patreon.com slash many faces, many places. Until then, I hope you will stay tuned as we hear more from the many faces of many places.